Welcome to Mindlocks. I am Rabbi Jeremy Marquis. Good afternoon. I am Adir Yolkut. I'm Josh Buchan. And uh, welcome back. Uh, we had a brief hiatus, you know, with real life getting in the way, but we're back um, and, and ready to engage with this new, this new week. Yes. A hiatus is a nice way of saying it. You know, sometimes it's a good lesson in life. We had a show we did last week, but we weren't in our best form and we want to give you guys the best quality content. But it's okay to admit sometimes you fall a little bit short, right, Josh? That's right. That's life. There you go. Beautiful. All right. So uh, I want to kick us off today by talking um, about comedy. Anybody who's kind of been following the news, certainly after this past weekend and the great show, I think that most of us would say that SNL did and the response it, it garnered from uh, President Trump, it brings up an interesting question about kind of comedy in, in the response or in, in the time of the Trump era. Although one could argue that this conversation has been going on long before in the sense that the election was much about his his kind of jokes, half jokes. Oh, I'm just kidding when I say that. I don't actually mean that. But kind of wielding comedy as a tool to kind of bludgeon political opponents and leading up into the current stage, which it feels like a lot of people are using comedy as a kind of psychological response to sad things that are happening. Um, and there's also the idea that really the thing that st- that that um, pushed Trump to even think about running was the 2011, um, what's it called, White House Correspondents Dinner, I think, where he was really uh, kind of made fun of pretty heavily. And a lot of people will say like that was the switch for him that he decided I'm going to take this whole establishment down. So I'm curious how you guys personally kind of uh, utilize comedy in this period, because I know we're all dealing with it in different ways. And also how you think like how the role of comedy should be. Are there, are there um, boundaries? Should we stop ourselves up to a certain point? Do we need to respect the office of the presidency in a way? Uh, anything you feel in the above? Well, I've been thinking about this in, uh, in terms of different presidencies, right? And comparing it to different presidencies. And I was thinking about when President Bush was president and you had Jonathan Stewart at The Daily Show and the, just the tons of jokes that he was making at, at President Bush's expense um, and, and feeling w- whether or not that's really different here. And I feel like the the tone is really different now versus then. Right? People really didn't, you know, at least I'm thinking of Jon Stewart as my primary example, you know, gave President George Bush lots of grief and, and insulted him and made fun of him and things like that. But I feel like now there's like a sense of fear in the jokes that wasn't present beforehand. Yeah, well, because it's been pretty unpredictable in terms of what response you're going to get. Like, you would feel like if it were if it were President Bush, Jeremy, everything okay over there? <laughs> yeah, it's just a crazy, it's crazy snow and wind. And then it would surprise me. Mm, yeah, deep, man. <laughs> um, I, I think part of the, the scary aspect of this is you, you knew President Bush was never going to kind of go on a go on a rant or tirade and promise to crush his political opponents. Uh, but with this president, it seems like the thin skinness of him makes us wonder what response we're going to get out of him. Is he is he going to do something kind of fly off the cuff and with the power that he has hurt the people involved in this? So I want to uh, jump in here. Speaking about President Bush okay. and comedy, do people remember? Uh, a TV show that briefly aired called That's My Bush. It was created <laughs> by Trey Parker and Matt Stone of South Park. And it was like this great parody. It was kind of like a sitcom set in the Oval Office about about uh, George W. and his family. And it was a pretty bad show. 
Um, I only watched a couple episodes, and I don't think I think it was only canceled after like one season or half a season. And what they said, I read an interview with them at the time, and they said that they were planning on making the show about whoever got elected. So even though it was called That's My Bush, the premise of having a White House comedy was, you know, that sort of existed in the ether, and that wasn't what was in response to President Bush. But I kind of find that hard to believe. I mean, the show was so specific to to lauding Bush. It's like much harder for me to imagine than making that show about That's My Obama, for instance. So... So I think that certain presidents are maybe more ripe to humor, or maybe we in the in the liberal comedic world need outlets that express our our feelings only with certain presidents. I, I like that we're a part of the comedic outlets in this. Totally, in, in what you're saying. Check out our That's show on Comedy mean. Central, premiering in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe there's something in that, Josh, about like tribal, like that we are inherently tribal creatures. So. And, and the president is always kind of representative as the head of the tribe. So, so when it's the other guy, when it was Bush, it was, you know, it was so easy and accessible. And then when it's art, when, when it was Obama, it was like, yeah, we can, we can like, there's stuff to make fun of Obama for, you know, his like dad jokes uh, or his attempts to like want to be a basketball star. Um, but feels, feels different now, given, given the person in the White House. I mean, I think also part of that's the nature of, you know, a president joking about wanting to be a basketball star. Talking about that is very different than some of the things that Donald Trump has spoken about. Yeah, totally. I yeah, feel no. I feel like a, a piece to this, and, and you kind of alluded this to this before, Adir, that uh, what does it mean in terms of the office, right? What does it mean for us to <clears throat> make fun of the president and the office of the president? And I feel like one of the big differences there is how who sits in that desk and their sense of humor like george bush whatever you can say about him he had a good sense of humor about it right, right. he he was okay with people making fun of him president obama certainly that was true he had a great sense of humor albeit you know i'm a fan of dad jokes so you know that's fine but i don't feel like president trump has that same sense of humor and therefore it feels different right then than what you know when comedians or whoever were making fun of the president, right? Like even you know in the liberal circles, circles people were making fun of uh, Obama, like you said. So I, I feel like that's that's a big piece of it. And I actually don't think there's anything wrong. In fact, I actually really think it's it's important that we make fun of whoever is the president, that we humanize them in some way. I think one of the things that I find so disheartening about Donald Trump is his lack of humor. I would say, and, and I was listening to NPR last week, and they were saying that actually when you hear him speak, he, he's very funny, that he often tries to use humor in his speeches and in the ways that he addresses the people in kind of a bro sort of way. But it's really disheartening that he can't take a joke about himself. And you sort of saw this throughout the election, the ways that he would fly off the handle at SNL for any skit. Um, and I think what's so scary about that is it's not just affecting the way that he relates to comedians, but really to news outlets in general. Like he's so concerned with, with his image, and not only can he not take a joke about himself, but he can't even he can't even connect with, you know, he he can't sort of read read anything negative about him, um, which is which is a problem. You know, we have to be able to be open to, to criticism, in life. Yeah, he's the classic example of someone who loves to dish it out but cannot take it at all. Totally. And that when he would dish it out, and and when it would when it came to be actually a serious thing, like, oh, hey, 
in Russia, if you're listening to this, like check into the servers. And then it was proven that there might have been some sort of tinkering from Russia. Uh, he was like, well, I didn't actually mean it. You know, I wasn't serious. I didn't know. Um, which is like, if you're going to do a joke, if you're going you know, to try to make humor, just just own up to it. Right. Like he, he hides behind humor, but he can't actually, I agree with you, he can't actually own up to it. On, on the flip side, and this is a part of your, your original question, Adir, I feel like I've really needed the humor, right? Like I can't engage all the time in what's happening in our country. Uh, it's too much for me to bear as a person all the time. Yeah. And I've really leaned on the comedic sources, um, The Daily Show uh, with Trevor Noah. I, I really like uh, Full Frontal with Samantha B. Her just uh, sharp wit just totally like is a, a salve for, for what I feel. And so, so for me, I've really needed those outlets for my own mental health. Yeah, you have to. I mean, or, or else you're just, you, you know, sometimes you find, I don't know if you have this feeling like you'll, you'll scroll through your Twitter feed or whatever, whatever social media you might be perusing. And it's like one thing after the other, you, you ha you're laughing out of discomfort because of how ridiculous things are. So having comedy, as you said, as a salve is like almost a form of self-care because otherwise it makes you want to pull your hair out, the things that happen. What do you guys think is the best joke uh, about this presidency so far in the last, I don't know, three weeks of the, of the life of this presidency? I mean, besides the whole election, the fact that he's actually our president. <laughs> right, right, right. Because not including the, the, the sheer kind of joke. joke of all of this. I thought the Melissa McCarthy thing on Saturday night was pretty hilarious and on point, uh, which is obviously not necessarily about him as the president, but about kind of the office, office of the president. And, and, and part of it, part of that is because I think it's almost become harder to make satire out of the events because the events are almost more laughable. I also really like the Sean Spicer impression by Melissa McCarthy. I think it's not just like in addition to what you're saying where it's on point. I like the fact that apparently it bothers the president that Sean Spicer was being played by a woman. Yeah. It, it totally taps in to my feminist side. And I think any person who looks down on women like that uh, should be like ashamed, first of all. And second, I want to rub it in his face as much as possible. And so I really, that's like a whole meta element of it that I really like. Um, I want to read, there's a quote actually, I wanted to read it after Josh talked because it's from, um, what's it, Trey Parker? And, Trey yeah. Parker. Yeah. Um, let me just find you this quote. All right, so here's the quote. This is from, this is from um, South Park co-creator Trey Parker. He said, it's tricky now because satire has become reality. It's really hard to make fun of, and in the last season of South Park, which just ended a month and a half ago, we were really trying to make fun of what was going on, but we couldn't keep up, and what was actually happening was much funnier than anything, than anything we could come up with, um, which is kind of on one hand deflating because it's like, oh, my God life has has become the running the the, the the satirical joke and it's not just life but it's the people running our government um but also you know it makes you wonder what what direction comedy is going to go in now because they don't have to invent stuff i mean they're really just kind of riffing off literal actual events that take place but i think that can be um powerful and, and dangerous not in a bad way kind of kind of uh, potent in, in a way I love that quote. It's kind of like, you know, what you say, truth is stranger than fiction. And I definitely feel the way, like, you look around right now and you read the news. And it's 
hard to believe that anything's really happening. And I think sometimes the best that you can do is laugh. There's actually, I don't know if you guys saw this, but apparently the Simpsons had predicted that Donald Trump would become president in an episode that aired in 2000. Yeah, I saw that. I think I saw something about that. Yes. I remember seeing the episode as a kid or 16 years ago, and I, I don't remember the nuances of it, but but like the fact that he's president and the fact that, that, that this was first predicted by a TV show as a joke is like an example of how absurd and surreal and, and humorous this whole situation is. Yeah, it's interesting. There, there actually also have been some real articles in the realm of like political science. There was a guy in 2011, after he had then dropped out of the Republican race, um, think, basically saying, thank God this happened. It would have been a disaster. Here's all the sorts of things that would have happened had Trump run. And it pretty much reads like a playbook of what is happening now. And this was in 2011. And then there was a guy, I think in the late 70s, who predicted something similar. Like this is this is what a type of presidency would look like if you had this kind of um, kind of jingoistic America first fascist style autocratic leader. Um, and much of it reads out exactly how it's happening now. I want to take something you just said there and ask uh, a question. Do you, there seems to me to be a lot of fairly explicit white supremacist, anti-Semitic stuff coming out of the government of the White House. There was that whole conversation about, you know, that the House Republicans didn't want to include Jews in the Holocaust statement, uh, all sorts of stuff where you have white supremacy groups, super jazz that Jeff Sessions is the new, Senator Jeff Sessions is now the attorney general, uh, stuff like that. Uh, how are you guys handling that element of it? I mean, that's not super humorous, but you know, how are you guys handling the, you know, you talked about the kind of fascist nature of it, you know, the fact that America First was a, you know, American Nazi party kind of white supremacy language. I mean, how do you guys deal with, how are you guys dealing with that? Uh, yeah, I tell you, I certainly, my ears perk up more to kind of notice, you know, either be it explicit statements or kind of dog whistling style stuff. And I was always very hesitant to try to say, oh, that's anti-Semitic or, you know, that's anti this before this election cycle. But now I'm much more attuned to stuff that comes out and I'm much more quick to label it that way. Um, and I often find myself angry. Like when I, I hear myself thinking about it when I'm talking to Jewish friends that I have who are very supportive of the um, president and um, the office thinking like one day down the road, and this is going to sound really dramatic, but like one day down the road, they're going to come for you. And, and I just want to know what you're going to think when that happens, because there were all these signs indicating. Um, so I have like a mixture of fear and anger a lot of times. And I don't know, I don't know how to cope with it besides just calling it out, but I'm certainly doing that more often now than I had in the past. It's funny. I also had a really similar reaction where I was very reticent or kind of pushed it to the side. And now I also feel way more sensitive and I also, I, I, something similar to what you said, but on the flip side, you know, I always had heard people saying, look, this could happen here in America. And I always brushed it off saying, look, there's such a huge difference between the United States and other countries, right. uh, which is still true. Uh, and now I, well, I, I don't think we've gone full, you know, full uh, Nazi or anything remotely like that. Not even close, but I don't feel so... Uh, blase as as I used to about it. I don't feel like like now I can't fully say even to myself this couldn't happen here because it's happening here. Yeah, it is. This little little first steps or big steps maybe. Yeah. 
Josh, you were last week, there was the swastikas on the train in the city. And given that you're living down there, is that something in, in the Upper West Side a few weeks ago, there was the them found on Broadway. I'm curious if it's if it's talked about a lot. And yeah, like kind of what, what, what are you doing to, to live in that reality? Well, it's interesting. I think it's one of those instances where it's sort of hyped up by the media more than it actually is. Like I wasn't on the subway when it happened. And, you know, you, mean, I, you I, weren't I, in the one car that it was at in all of New York City? Yeah, I think it was actually not even around that day. Um, <laughs> so I, it's interesting. I, I would say like, and maybe this is connects to what you were just saying, Marquis, that, that here to some extent it does feel like business as usual. Like people are more upset. And there's much more passion in vitriol. And people are more willing to get involved. And there's definitely more actions. Like I've been at more rallies and marches in the last couple of weeks than you know, I probably ever have which is great, and I, and I think there's a lot of people who are doing that. But in terms of, like, day-to-day life, like, I don't feel like we're living under, like, a totalitarian Nazi regime yet. I wonder, you know, if that would happen, if how different would that really feel? Um, you know, so when you said, like, when you were saying, like, this is happening here, this is happening here, like, I hear a lot of people talking about that, I think that the media has a sense, like, not that things aren't dire and really messed up. And, like, I really dislike Trump and all of his policies and all the people he's appointing. And, like, I think there's a tendency to catastrophize. You know, so I guess I'm saying, like, life here is, like, life. It's just, like, it's just life. It doesn't feel that different. Have you guys found yourselves um, thinking more and looking more around you when you wear your keypad out? I, I certainly have. And that's, that's being in New York, which is, like, a pretty kind of bastion of... Judum, let's say, and even in the city when I walk around, I, I feel like I'm, and maybe I'm just paranoid, but I don't know. I look at people and I feel like they're looking at me more. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how you guys have noticed that at all. I would say for me, independently of the election, I'm less and less inclined in outward expressions of religiosity. Like I'm more, I'm find it's more and more like a personal thing that I'm less interested in, in, in wearing out to make a point or to show like, oh, look at how, you know, look, there's a Jew who can be a nice modern Jew who can do X, Y, and Z. Like, I feel like I don't, I've had enough of those conversations over my life wearing a keep out that like, I don't feel like I want to be, be necessarily doing anything to have that, that banner anymore. I feel really differently than the both of you have just described it. I mean, first of all, I'm in Western Pennsylvania. Uh, so there's a whole context difference. I, I live and work and spend most of my time in the Jewish neighborhood here. So... I'm around people wearing tzitzit and kippot on a very regular basis. And so I haven't felt any pressure not to wear it. Now, I haven't ventured too far into the suburbs or into, you know, western Pennsylvania outside of Pittsburgh. So I don't know how I'll feel. I'm probably more sensitive to it in that context. And on the other side, I actually feel like I want to wear it more uh, in the sense that I don't want anyone to tell me or for me to feel like I should be deterred from wearing something that's important to me. I mean, I've been wearing a kippah on my head for for over a decade at this point. I I don't want anyone to tell me what what I should or shouldn't do. Not that anybody is, but I don't want to feel like, I oh, I shouldn't wear it. I want to feel like there's nothing you can do to change who I am uh, and how I want to express myself. If I decided I want to change how I express myself, that's different, but... So, so that I feel really differently than the way you guys have just described it. Do you acknowledge? I think part of it, though, Jeremy, like the 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 strength and courage you feel to say what you say is is partly bolstered by the fact that theoretically you could take your keepa off, uh, and it wouldn't matter. Like there are a lot of people in the world who do have uh, you know outward religious garb that even if they take it off, 
for by nature of their skin color primarily um like that fear is just going to be in, like latently stronger within them i think yeah absolutely uh i certainly have uh light skin and i have the privilege that comes with that and so when i don't have my kippah on nobody pays attention to me Shlomo. and right so right in reference like last week i got trolled by a bunch of online nazi twitter trolls they did not want to allow me to say that I receive white privilege. They wanted to not call me white or they wanted to call me Jew. One of them called me Shlomo, which is not my Hebrew name. Um, Still. What, would it have made it better if it was your Hebrew name? Like, I feel like that detail's irrelevant. <laughs> well, I, I just like inserting it in every in the conversation. Right. Too. I, mean, it, I mean, they were trying to do it to make me feel insulted. It didn't really insult me. Um, if my Hebrew name was Shlomo, I think I'd be pretty impressed. Um, we'll be right back with our second segment. Welcome back for our second segment. Uh, if you are living in uh, the Northeast, you may have received a large amount of snow in the last 24 hours. Uh, I know here in Pittsburgh and you guys in New York, we received a lot of snow. And I wanted to just ask, what, what are some of your favorite snow memories? Uh, I know I remember the first time I experienced snow and, and I, I really love the snow. What about you guys? No, Jeremy, why don't you share your first time story? Well, I, I mean, I just remember we had moved to Portland from Los Angeles, and I remember sitting or standing in the backyard with all of this white, you know, light dusting. I mean, it wasn't even really like a lot of snow. It was just a dusting, really. And I was just thrilled. I mean, there's a, there's a picture of, of me somewhere in my parents' house, you know, face plastered to the glass window, you know, uh, just enthralled by it. And I just, I don't think I've ever, <clears throat> I've ever come away from that emotional state. Uh, regarding snow the image of you plastered against the the window reminds me of a story of a famous rabbi <laughs> jeremy maybe you want to jump in here wait i want to ask before you segue nicely i want to break up the segue really rude were, sorry <laughs> were there any marquise uh, i notice you in your the way you pronounce your name on social media is always different from the way i pronounce it hard z versus soft soft s z so are there no, any he also does that in person Marquise uh, family traditions on snow days, like maybe uh, empanada or horchata. Nice. Uh, no. Now, there are no real... We, we're definitely a tradition-heavy family. Uh, no, right. no snow traditions. Maybe you now, and I could start. Right, now we could start. I mean, we don't all live in the same place. Although, today, we probably all have snow in the three different cities that Marquises live in. Uh, my Hashtag immediate family. family snow day. <laughs> right. Hashtag family snow day. I love it. How do you uh, say snow in Spanish? I don't remember. Perhaps helado, or is that ice or something? I think that's ice. You know, uh, I, have a, I, have a, I have a tangent about that. Can I interrupt for a second to say this? It's about that. I remember, Jeremy, when we were living in Israel, <laughs> at the market across from us, there was a big blizzard the year we were there, and we went. Remember this? You went when we were talking to the guy at the market, at the Mikul, and he's like, shelig, which is snow. He's like, how do you say shelig in English? <laughs> Rice? And we're like, No. No, not rice. 
<laughs> you know, small white particulate objects are really much the same no matter what. what the whether context. you're eating them or whether they're falling from the sky. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. It, that was really funny. Nieve. Nieve. Yeah. Uh, my, now my parents, when it snows in Portland because of climate change, it, it, they just get dumped on. Um, there was a foot and a half of snow a couple weeks ago, which hadn't it hadn't snowed that much since 1980. So snow is a much larger part of the conversation in my family than it used to be. <clears throat> what about you guys? Family or fa- favorite snow stories? Hmm. Well, I was just telling Lauren this morning. Uh, we didn't get a ton of snow in St. Louis throughout my childhood because we are a land. We were a landlocked state but the couple times a year when we'd get a big one sometimes it wasn't every season uh there's forest park in st louis which is the largest park i think just behind central park or it might actually by by land by acreage be a little bit bigger but in any case there's an art museum that has a hill in front of it aptly named art hill um and it's really (laughs) steep and really long and that's where everybody would go and the cool thing was or scary really now that i think about it at the bottom there was a a lake a man-made lake. Um, and so you would always kind of see how fast you could go while simultaneously almost defecating on yourself because if you went too far or even you, if they had hail, like uh, hay, hay barrels, hay stacks set up to block you, but either you could hit them really hard and it would hurt or sometimes you could like plow through them. So there was always this fear, um, but it was just a really cool kind of nostalgic feeling. There was always hot chocolate being sold and there were fires set up. You could sit by during getting a break, but sledding, I love sledding. I miss sledding. <laughs> you, no, one, no one's stopping you. You can start the sled now anytime That's you true. want. That's true. I could. i got to get a sled, though. Nice. Well, your next purchase. Maybe the trash can top. <laughs> Are there good hills out there? For yeah, there's uh, hills that go right into the Long Island Sound if you want. Nice. Wow. You're, just like, you're just like sliding into water, clearly. I'm a bit of a, thr- I'm a, bit of a thrill seeker. What about you, Josh, yeah, in Berkeley? Do you ever uh, like spoken about that with uh, someone professional? Yeah, I'm, I'm working on it with my therapist. Go on. <laughs> Josh, what about you in Berkeley? So we didn't have snow in Berkeley, believe it or not. Um, when I was a kid, there was one day I remember when I was in school when it like snowed, like it like like meaning like twelve <laughs> individual snowflakes fell, and everyone was like, "Oh my god!" Shut down the schools, closed the stores, stopped the public transportation. But but we had family in Denver, and we went to Denver every year as kids, and we had um, we had a, we had a, a condo in Vail that we would go to, which is in the mountains. And I have very fond memories of sledding um, around there. Uh, believe it or not, I also went with a bit of a thrill seeker and nothing, nothing quite like the thrill of sitting on a, a sled barreling down <laughs> a very steep hill towards a bunch of trees to get the adrenaline running. What about, what, what, if you would imagine, you're, it, even though you didn't experience a lot of snow, coming inside from a cold snow day, what would be your ideal meal to have walking in from a snowstorm? Oh yeah, come on. <laughs> uh, I... Like a hot cup of tea, I think is my ah. perfect post-snow experience. Yeah, just a hot cup of tea, sit and, and, and look outside, right? To on, be give me inside a, and Give warm. me something to pair with the tea, some sort of food. Uh, chocolate. Maybe a scone? Perhaps, if there was chocolate in it. Ooh, how about a chocolate croissant from Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf? Nice. I prefer oh. uh, the place where we used to go in the yeshiva in Israel, uh, mm. Super Saul. Uh, awesome Israel, place. yeah, Super, super Saul. The, gro- but, the generic grocery store. But it was, uh, yeah, uh, anything with chocolate, I think, is a good way to go. What about Josh. you, Adir? Josh? I'm not eating sugar or carbohydrates. 
or wheat. Whoa, whole 30? Sweets anymore. Yeah, I'm having some, Dude, I um, want to do that. No, I'm not doing the whole... It's a different thing. I, I'm having a lot of issues, and I'm on... I'm about to begin... I'm beginning, like, an eight-week reduction. Cleanse? Not a cleanse. I'm working... It's, it's, uh, it's outside the scope of this podcast. <laughs> if you, but if you have interesting recipes, hashtag text me. Um, <laughs> I would say that my ideal post... Post, um, like, snowy... Snowy adventure comfort food... This might seem like uh, like an obvious choice, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it like bratwurst. Why is that so far fetched? <laughs> Why is that obvious? How is it not obvious? <laughs> Who, when you're out in the sun, does not want to be like, yeah, I just want to get some bratwurst, some sauerkraut, a nice bun, maybe toast that stuff up? Oh, man. Nothing says like home like a bratwurst. Home is where the brat is. <laughs> what do you say? Well, as will not surprise you, I've thought, I've thought long and hard about this question. Um, I have many answers. One, I've been super into, into muesli since last night. Uh, Lauren told me about it. <laughs> and then big 12 some. hours for you. <laughs> I had you. some today and it was delicious. So I'd, I'd start my day off with that. But definitely uh, I'm thinking something cheesy. So either macaroni and cheese, like a real, real deal, not that fake shit. And um, we like to curse on here. You want to say shit on this podcast? I don't know. Anyways, like seven weeks. The second choice would be uh, grilled cheese and tomato soup. Easy. Oh, that's a really <laughs> good option. <laughs> right, it's a very suppose. obvious difference yeah, between you guys. Yeah, but that's that's what I'd hit up. Oh, that's a really good choice. I think I might have to change my answer. The bratwurst. <laughs> Come join me in the world of grilled cheese and tomato soup. No tomatoes on that damn sandwich, though. I hate when people do that. Oh, I love that. That's delicious. Yeah. Consistency is all off. Anyways, thank you guys for sharing your snow memories. Snow day, snow apocalypse, 2K17. All right, we'll be back for our third and final segment, the media takes of the week. We're back as always. We like to end on a high note here at Mindlocks by sharing with you our favorite media picks of the week. Adir, do you want to kick us off and take us home? Definitely. Speaking <laughs> of nostalgia, which I did before about the snow, I'll keep the thread running. And I watched the first two episodes this week of the, the reboot of 24. Uh, it has some weird noun attached to it, like 24, I don't know. Legacy. Legend. Courage. Legend. Legend. Yeah, something with an F. Uh, it's with the actor, uh, he's been on Walking Dead. He played Dr. Dre in the new, in the, uh, what's it called? Straight, out of, movie? Straight out of Compton last year. A really good actor. Sorry, I'm forgetting his name. But I love it so far. I love the original show with Kiefer Sutherland. It was like a staple of my, I want to say Monday nights in high school. I always watched it. Great show for a few years. I didn't like the recent redo that it did a few years ago. But I'm into this so far and it's taken me back and, and uh, highly recommend it. I have two follow-up questions. One, this is the third reboot of 24? I think so. The other one might have been just a movie or like a two-part miniseries. Mm -hmm. that, my, my next follow-up questions, I've been reading a lot about 
maybe this show is not good for Sean King. liberal agenda. You've been, if you know you've been reading Sean King. Always. Yeah, I saw him tweet about that. I don't know. It's you know, it's like in some parts of my life, I just have to enjoy mindless yeah. stuff. Even if, if I searched far enough, I could say, oh, this contributes to Islamophobia in the world. There's a lot that contributes to that, and I still just want to enjoy 24. Okay, that's fair. Fair. That's a very in vogue villain. Yeah. Josh, how about you? What do you got? Well, I finished watching the second season of Man in the High Castle, which I thought was interesting. I had, at moments, I loved it. At moments, I hated it. At the end, though, it's pretty awesome. They drop an A-bomb and destroy the world. No spoilers. Hmm. Sounds pretty much like There's a spoiler. see where they go from there. Can I just say, I hope that you're watching A Man in the High Castle presumes that you have finished The Wire, because if you haven't, you need to stop watching anything else. Well... Uh, I, I'm on the fourth season of The Wire, and I've got a long plane ride ahead of me tonight. So hopefully yeah, I'll make I, some progress there. Can I come with you? <laughs> Companion. Companion ticket. Sure. Jeremy, hit us. Hashtag take us home. Hashtag that blog. <laughs> David, um, we love the blog. We'd love to have you on the pod and share some tips with some of our fans. <laughs> My uh, my t- my pick of this week is the TV show The Expanse. I think it's on the Sci-Fi Channel. Oh, I started um, it this week also. Yeah, so I watched the last the first season. The second season just started last night. Uh, I read, I think the first five. There's a whole book series. I read I read a number of them. Um, the first book is called Leviathan Wakes, which is a great name for a book. Um, the first season of the show was phenomenal. I'm a huge fan. I haven't yet started the second season, but I saw an ad for it yesterday and I'm super jazzed. And so that's going to be my aspirational pick where I'm really excited about watching it. Nice. Three, three diverse choices. A lot of directions to go. Choose your own adventure. Blow up the shark. <laughs> well, uh, thank you uh, to all of our listeners for joining us this week. I hope you didn't miss us too badly last week. And uh, tune in. We're, uh, tweet at us, reach us uh, on our future but not yet existent Facebook page, and uh, uh, we will see you next week. Peace out. He's got a very he's got a very delicate neck. You can no longer tell where my neck is. (laughs) (laughs) What color is that thing, Bordeaux? Uh, Yeah, I would say that's a good way of describing it. You know, I would say wine colored, but (laughs) chartreuse. 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 I never know. Look it up. Oh, it's green. It's like a yellow green. Hmm. Who knew? Hmm.